Well, welcome again to Christ Central. My name is Daniel, uh, one of the pastors, and really glad you are with us. Uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of Psalms titled Songs of the Heart. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, it has to me uh, as I've been reading and preparing and spending time with the Lord in them. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, a very well-known psalm, and I'm going to ask you, uh, as is our custom, to stand if you are able. I'm going to read Psalm 51 to us this morning. Psalm of David. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do, God, do good design and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, and then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Right, let me pray. God, I ask that you would bless your word and that you would speak to us. That, God, you would break up the hardness of our own hearts. Till the ground of our hearts. Illumine our minds. Help us to hear. Have ears to hear. You speak to us this morning. And, God, lead us all to trust. To look to you, Jesus, with whole hearts, trusting and believing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Well, in the process of planting uh, this church, Christ Central Church, We've had to communicate our vision and our mission over and over. Uh, our vision, that Christ Central Church would be a Christ-centered, cross-cultural community that exists for the glory of God and the good of Durham. Say that over and over and over. That our mission is to love God, love neighbor, love city, love the world. We've shared our values, what we hold as really important as a church. We've asked many people all around the country for prayers and for financial support. And in talking about the vision and the mission of our church, it is really easy to share about what we want to see happen, about what we want to do and what we want to accomplish as a church. Right? We want to make an impact in the world. We want to be a blessing to the nations. We really do. We pray that we make an impact in the city of Durham. 
Durham as a city would know that we're here and we're here to love our neighbor. We're here to be a blessing to the city that God has placed us in. We want to see God bring people together in the city that often live divided and segregated in one community. We seek to be diverse, generationally, socioeconomically, ethnically, a church that reflects its place, the city of Durham. We seek to see people who don't know Christ come to believe in Christ. We seek to see people who are weak strengthened. We seek to see people become lifelong followers, wholehearted disciples of Jesus. We seek to see Jesus shine his light into the dark places of our hearts, of our community, in the city, in the world. We seek to see brokenness healed and restored. These are all things that we speak about what we want to do. It's the things we want to see happen in this church. And everyone likes to be a part of something that is doing something. Part of something that is moving somewhere. But the bigger question when I just describe what we want to do is why. Why do we want to do this? And, and the why must be simple. The why must be God. It must be God. God must be the one who compels us, motivates us, the one that we seek to honor and to glorify in all that we do. Why do we want to do all this? Because of God. And let me share the why of for God will only happen, it will only happen when we deeply understand and deeply believe all that God has done for us. All that God has done for us. And the word I would use to describe when you or I are in a place of understanding all that God has done for us is the word repentance. Repentance. As I thought and I prayed for this church for years and communicated our vision and our mission, the more I find myself praying for one thing. One thing that will be the ultimate thing. One thing that would characterize Christ Central Church. One thing that if people asked about this church would be the main thing here. Now there's other characteristics for sure. But the one main thing that I pray would be true of Christ Central Church. It's not impact. It's not diversity. It's not community. The one thing that I believe if it is true of this church, everything else will flow is repentance. Repentance. I pray that God would give us individually and as a community a heart and a spirit of repentance. So I'm sure maybe you hear that word and you're like, because ah, you've had bad experiences with that word, repentance. Right? Maybe it conjures up some thoughts of that preacher right, who was yelling, repent or perish. Right? You, kind of, you kind of think of a, of a message that's kind of turn or burn, repent or go to hell, right? That's when you, when you hear the word repent. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. Repentance is the message that John the Baptist preached. Repentance is the message that Jesus preached. When he came and began his earthly ministry, he began by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul preaches throughout the churches in the book of Acts, calling for repentance. Martin Luther in the Reformation in 1517 nailed the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And the first of the 95 Theses was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, He intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Repentance is not a turn or burn, one and done call in the Bible. What Luther was saying and what the Bible says is that all of the Christian life is 
repentance. And Psalm 51 is one of the best places in all of the Bible to understand repentance. This morning, that's what I want us to look at. And consequently, we're going to also have to understand what repentance is not. And I think many of us, even me, this pastor who's preaching this message, can get confused on what true repentance really is. So let me give you context of Psalm 51. Let me give you a little bit of context. This was written about a year after David, man after God's own heart, king of Israel, had an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. She was the wife of Uriah. David then sends Uriah to the front lines of battle to have him killed. King David, an unfaithful adulterer and murderer. And I will add this. Sin does not always feel like sin. Sin does not always feel bad. David, in committing adultery, he felt like a passionate lover. David, in murdering Uriah, he felt like a powerful king. Sin can often feel good for a moment. And so David goes on with his normal life after committing these sins until the prophet Nathan comes to confront David. And the prophet Nathan tells David a story. A story about a little lamb that was stolen from a poor man and given to a rich man for a feast. And David becomes outraged. Outraged at the man who stole the lamb. And David says, this man deserves to die. This man deserves to die. And then Nathan says, you're the man. You're this man. And it's at that point that David's house comes crashing down. That David's world is rocked. And then David writes this psalm of repentance. And the first thing that we see about true repentance is that it is a confession of personal sin. True repentance is a confession of personal sin. Verses 1 to 3, David prays, Have mercy on me, O God. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Nathan confronts David. And David now sees himself as the one who needs to be put to death. David now sees it's my sin. It's my iniquity. It's my transgression. Let me give you two indicators of an unrepentant heart. Two indicators of an unrepentant heart. The first is when you are more outraged at the sins of others than you are at your own. When you are more outraged at the sins of others than you are your own. David burns with anger at the man who stole the poor man's lamb and it was given to the rich man. This man must die, David proclaims. If you look at others and you see other people's sins as worse than your own, this is a good indicator that you might have an unrepentant heart. If you think a person's struggle with drugs is worse than your struggle with greed? If you think a person's struggle with a drive to succeed is worse than your struggle with laziness? Or if you think a person's struggle with pride is worse than your own pride, your heart is probably not where it needs to be. This is a place of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness will destroy your life and it will destroy others around you. Self-righteousness leads you to think that you're better than others. It leads you to think that you have no need for repentance. Self-righteousness is the enemy to repentance. If you've been coming to Christ Central 
then you know every week we have this corporate confession of sin and a silent confession of sin. We do this every week. If we ever get to the place where we begin to think, man, why are we always confessing our sin? Why are we so down? Let's move beyond that. Let's have a little bit more happiness. This is not good. We must never get to that place because we have to come over and over to seeing the depth of our sin. It is necessary for true repentance. Another indicator of an unrepentant heart is when you are defensive. It's when you are defensive. If someone ever gets enough courage to love you like Nathan, pray for that, by the way. Pray for friends like Nathan. Someone to confront you on your own sin, but then you turn it into a time to defend or to point back at the person confronting you. It's a good sign of an unrepentant heart. And I will say, (laughs) I am pretty good at defending. I am. I'm good at arguing my own case. Sometimes I can win it. My wife will tell you that I'm very defensive, and some of you in this church will we'll say, I am defensive. Defensiveness is a denial that I have my sin, that I must own my sin. One of my seminary professors, Steve Brown, he talks about a time when he preached at General Assembly, which is the gathering of all the PCA churches once a year, the annual gathering, and he preached. He says he preached with all of his might about the grace and about the mercy of Jesus. And this young minister approached him after Uh, after he preached in the worship service and confronted him. And he said, uh, I've got to confront you. I I didn't hear you talk about obedience and duty. And this young minister began to quiver and get really nervous. And he said, Professor Brown, I, I just want to tell you, I think you're very arrogant. I think you're very prideful. And uh, Steve said that years ago, he would have destroyed this young minister. He would have put him in his place. He would have defended himself, made this young minister look silly. But listen to what he said when this young minister confronted him. He said, you're prideful. Steve Brown said, bingo. You're arrogant. He said, bingo. Bingo. I agree. And then he said, in fact, you don't know the half of it. If you really knew how arrogant and how prideful I really was, you wouldn't even want to talk to me. And he said this this conversation actually stopped the young minister in his tracks and opened up an incredible conversation about the gospel. I love that. That's a repentant heart. Someone confronts you about something in your life and you reply, bingo. (laughs) Bingo. You don't know the half of it. I'm actually far worse than you would ever know. See, repentance says I'm far worse than you've ever imagined. I'm far worse. But as a result... A repentant heart is teachable. It is teachable. It's not defensive. So pray for a heart like this. Pray that when a spouse or a friend confronts you and loves you that much, pray that you could respond, bingo. Bingo. I'm so glad you see it. I'm so glad you... I wish you saw all of it. It runs deep. David proclaims, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, verse 1. David can boast in his weakness, yet even his sin, because he can glory in the steadfast love of God to him. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is the word hesed. 
It's the covenant. It means covenant love, a binding love, a love that God bestows on his people and promises to never remove, to never take away. See, David can plead for mercy. And he can own the depth of his sin because he knows God has promised to love him and never leave him no matter what he's done, is doing, or will do. Do you believe? Do you believe that God loves you with this type of love? Do you believe God knows all that you have done and all that you will do? And he says, I love you. I will never leave you no matter what. So repentance must involve turning toward a God of covenant love. It must involve that. Repentance is not just being honest and realizing your sin. That's a part of it, but that's not all of it. It's not just self-reflection. It's not just an inward navel gaze to understand what's going on in the interior of your life. Repentance is always facing outward. It's always facing towards another. It's always facing as a Christian towards Jesus, a God full of love and grace. Luke 15, parable parable of the prodigal son. Beautiful parable. The the youngest son squanders, runs away, squanders all the inheritance of his father. He's lying in uh, in the mud of the pigs when he realizes, I must return to my father's house. And then he's rehearsing what he's going to tell his father when he gets back to the house. He's rehearsing what he's going to say. And the father sees the son coming. And the son, I just imagine the son kind of looking inwardly, all these things that he's got to try to prove to his father about himself. And the father runs straight to the son, embraces him, and the youngest son just collapses into his father's arms. Repentance is owning your personal sin, but it's always turning outward and facing a God full of love and grace and collapsing into his arms. And allowing him to embrace you and love you. Here's my second point. Repentance is always oriented towards God. Repentance is always oriented toward God. Look at verses 4 to 5. David prays, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But maybe you're going, well, didn't David sin against Bathsheba? Didn't David sin against Uriah? Yeah, he did. But true repentance is first and foremost a heart that is most grieved of sinning against God. Against you, God, have I sinned. Let me give you two more indicators of an unrepentant heart. Or we could call this false repentance because sometimes it actually looks like repentance for a lot of us. This is where I'm good. The first is when your heart is more grieved by your failure than by you sinning against God and breaking the heart of God. When your heart is more grieved by your failure than sinning against God. Now there is a conviction that needs to happen with your sin. But if you think conviction and self-loathing is the same thing, you're mistaken. Beating yourself up for failing and not doing more and, and being more is not repentance. I became a Christian in high school and I started writing prayers in kind of a, a notebook journal. And, uh, and I've got many, many notebooks of prayers that I've uh, penned throughout the years. And I wish that I could compile the hundreds and hundreds of times that I prayed, God, I promise I will not do this anymore. God, I promise I will no longer, I will not do this. And that type of prayer that I've prayed over and over and over is a prayer of self-reliance, 
and self-trust. Now, we might have some desire, some good intentions for some grace and some mercy from God, but what we're grieved by the most is that we should do more and that we should be more and that we didn't measure up. And here's the good news. You don't measure up. (laughs) I don't measure up. Bingo. Bingo. Let's rejoice in that. We don't measure up. We have and will continue to fail Jesus until Jesus returns. Let's just say bingo. More than being upset that we failed, we should be grieved that we've sinned against God, that we've turned away from a God who loves us with a covenant love who offers us a love that is so binding that He bound us to Himself by giving His only Son on the cross. The second indicator of an unrepentant heart is when your heart is more grieved by the consequences of your sin than by sinning against God and breaking the heart of God. You're more grieved by the consequences. All of you know this experience, don't you? When your sin has led to consequences, either with people or circumstantially, Uh, Our our sin does have consequences and it should grieve us, but not more than breaking the heart of our God. When our hearts are more grieved by the consequences of sin, there's still this will within us where we are resolving to do more and to be different. And the primary focus when we're resolving to do more is on me. And that's not repentance. You've seen the child, you've been this child maybe, You've seen one for sure who's been punished for uh, disobedience to their parents and the child gets put in time out until they say, I'm sorry, right? And the child finally comes out and says, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. But what's driving them is to, to say they're sorry and to promise to change their behavior so that they will get out of time out. The consequences grieve them more than hurting their own parents and their disobedience, if we focus on consequences, we will think repentance is a will to resolve to change our behavior, that we need to act different. Stop doing this, start doing that. And repentance is not behavior modification. Repentance is not behaving better so that you're not a failure, and it's not behaving better so that you don't have consequences. It's rather a heart that breaks over sinning against God. You know Luke 22, the story of Peter and Jesus? Peter and Jesus' interaction before the cross. Jesus tells Peter what? You're going to deny me three times, right? You're going to deny me three times. And Peter, I will not. I will never deny you. I will never disown you. And what does Peter do? Denies three times. He denies three times. And Luke 22, verse 61 says this. The Lord turned, and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered what Jesus said. And Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. The look of the Lord in the midst of Peter's sin led Peter to weep bitterly over his sin. Peter said, I have sinned against my Lord. Do you realize Do we realize the love that flows from Calvary? That there is a super abundance of love and mercy that flows from the cross of Christ to us. Do you know that Jesus went to the cross because of sin? Because of your sin? That Jesus laid his life down on your and our behalf. 
And do you see the look of the Savior? Do you see the look of love as He gave His life for you? Will you make eye-to-eye contact with Jesus and see Him crucified and know how deep His love for us really is? And then may that look of love break your heart. That you've turned away from such an extravagant love as Jesus's. Peter wept bitterly. Let me ask you an honest question. Even you men who don't like to cry, right? We don't like to cry. When was the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time you wept over your sin? Not because you failed, not because there were consequences, but you wept because you saw the look of a crucified Savior hanging on your behalf and you knew how high and wide and deep is the love of Christ towards you and your heart grieved because you sinned against that type of love. When was the last time you wept? Our tears will flow when we see we have pierced our Savior. The cross happened because and for us. Bernard of Clairvaux, an early church father, he called the bitter tears of repentance the wine of the angels, the medicine of the soul. True repentance is a heart grieved by sinning against God. And when we get to this place of grief, we then turn it to God and ask Him to do what we cannot do. Wash me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Wash me. This is the language of doing laundry. Removing the stain, making white, making clean, making pure. And we cannot wash ourselves, though we might try. And we might even think that we need to wash ourselves before we finally come to God. But only God can wash us. Only God can cleanse us. And then we pray, God, create in me a clean heart. Created me a clean heart. God's the creator. He is the one who makes something out of nothing. He is the creator. And if we want a life of obedience, it doesn't come by trying harder and beating yourself up. It comes from grieving over your sin and that you've sinned against God and then praying, God, give me a new heart. A heart that has new roots so that new fruit can grow something that only you can give God. Jerome, who was even an earlier church father, to Bernard of Clairvaux. Listen to this. He had an early, uh, he had a dream one night in which Jesus visited him. And in the dream, Jerome collected all of his money and he offered it to Jesus as a gift. And Jesus said, I don't want your money. And so Jerome rounded up all of his possessions. said, I'm going to give you all of my possessions, Jesus. And Jesus says, I don't want your possessions. And Jerome, confused, says, what do you want? What can I give you, Jesus? And Jesus simply replied, give me your sins. That's what I came for. I came to take away your sins. And if we can realize our sin and we turn towards God, it is a great gift because it puts us in a place of knowing what we need most is Jesus. That's what we need most. Lastly, about repentance, is that repentance brings forth blessing for you and for community. 
brings forth blessing for you and for community. David prays, restore to me the joy of salvation. Let me rejoice. Let me rejoice. True repentance leads to joy. Always leads to joy. Out of our grief comes joy in what God has done for us. That's why every Sunday when we confess our sin corporately and privately, it is always followed up by an assurance of pardon. It is always followed up by, love's, by God's love and grace and forgiveness. Because if we want to dance in church, we should want to dance. If we want to shout and if we want to celebrate, for every one glance we take at our sin, we should take ten glances to the cross of Jesus. And when we do that, how can we not dance? How can we not clap? How can we not rejoice? How can we not shout? But the blessing of repentance, it's not just personal It's also communal. It benefits the community. Look at verse 13. It says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will then return to you. (laughs) That's evangelism. That is evangelism. And every church planter wants their church to be characterized by evangelism. And what Psalm 51 teaches is that repentance is first. And then evangelism. And I will tell you, non-Christians can smell self-righteous, smug Christians. They can smell it. And what they need most is repentant Christians, pointing them to the same Savior that they know that they need, that they're offering to the one that they're talking with and in relationship to. Verse 18 is the corporate prayer. that become, It becomes this corporate prayer that Verses 1 to 17 is an individual prayer of David. Verse 18 is now this corporate prayer of Israel, the prayer of Zion, the prayer of the city, prayer for the community, which should be our prayer for our community, for our church. God, do good to our church. Do good to your people, O God. Repentance is also corporate. We're a community, we're a people, so we need to repent of our communal sins, and corporate blessing also will follow. So Christ Central Church, repentance, it is the greatest spiritual power that we have. Repentance is what unleashes the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. Repentance is what will lead people who don't believe in Jesus to finally trust Jesus. Repentance is what will bring people who live separated together into one community. And let me also say this. If you have no passion for evangelism, if you have no passion for the people of God and the community of God, you don't declare Jesus in your words and in your deeds, so it's also a good sign that your heart may not be repentant. Because all of this flows from a true repentant heart. Repentance is the greatest gift that God gives His people. Someone said that the church is the only club in the world where the only qualification for joining it and staying in it is that one be unqualified. That's the only qualification, is that you be unqualified. Do you feel unqualified this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We should all feel unqualified. If you're here and you think, I'm too bad to be a part of this church, I'm too bad to to be a Christian. Please hear me say true repentance is not having to prepare yourself to come to God. It's coming to God broken, grieving, and then boasting and how unqualified we all are 
and then turning outward and facing a save that loves us to the depths of who we are. We may be more sinful than we've ever thought, but God has shown us in the face of Jesus and the look of our Savior that we're more loved than we've ever dreamed. Christ Central, do I want God to lead us toward our vision? Toward our mission? You better believe I do. I pray for it. But without repentance, we will be a bunch of self-righteous people building our own kingdom. And God forbid Christ Central ever becomes that type of church. So may God give us the gift of true repentance, both individually and as a community. A broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. And then everything else will flow. And He will blot out our sin. He will remember our sin no more. The deep, deep love of Jesus. It's vast, it is unmeasured, it's boundless, and it's free. Will you receive it? I pray you will. Let's pray. God, I ask that this morning you would help us to see the look of our Savior break our hearts. Break our hearts, God, over our own sin. More than the outrage that we have at others, break through our defensiveness, break through our arrogance, our self-righteousness. Individually and as a community, God, would we be repentant and turning outward and collapsing into a God full of love and grace, seen in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.